Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. We are going to be opening our Bibles up today at Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn there now. Romans is one of the letters that we find in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, which is all about what Jesus did and said and how we're to live in light of what he did and said. So we're in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be bringing our A Better Story series into land today. So uh, we're going to be kind of asking the question, where do we go from here? That's what we're going to be asking today. So, But before we do that, let's just uh, look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Actually, we're going to go 1 to 3. Here we go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We will actually leave it at verse 2 there. We're going to come back to this a little bit later on, but as I said, we are going to be asking the question today, where do we go from here? We've had over the last seven or eight weeks, a series looking at the matters of God, sex, and human flourishing. And we've been looking at what are the kind of main stories, the main narratives that the world would hold dear when it comes to these matters. And we've been asking, is there a better story? Does God have something to say into these things? And even in the space of the last eight or nine weeks, there has been a number of developments Uh, in the news that you may have picked up on that are pertinent to some of the things that we've been discussing. And I think as we unpack just a few of them in, in a minute, we can see that this is something that we need to know what God has to say about these things. We need to uh, come to, to grapple with what does the Bible say into these things. Otherwise, we're going to just get very confused in an age where things are changing very fast and seemingly all of the time. So last month, for example... NHS England announced plans to tighten rules on the treatment of children who are questioning their gender, with senior doctors issuing a statement saying that most children who believe they are transgender are just going through a phase, and warning that doctors should not encourage them to change their names and pronouns or to undergo life-altering treatment. So that was in the news just a few weeks ago. Again last month, the BBC reported that more people now identify as bisexual than as gay or lesbian. Two weeks ago, a senior bishop in the Church of England published a paper urging for same-sex marriage to be brought into the Church of England. And of course, this week, there's been a big controversy around the Football World Cup in Qatar with uh, anger expressed at the lack of liberty for women's rights and also for people who identify as being part of the LGBTQ community. And finally, two days ago, an actor from the very popular Netflix series The Crown has urged for there to be no male or female categories in the Oscars for Best Actor because this actor identifies as non-binary and therefore feels that the categories of male and female are not inclusive. So that's just in the space of the time in which we've had this series. There's been a number of things, high-profile things in the news and loads more than that that I could go into. I just wanted to share those to illustrate the fact that this is not something that we can kind of bury our heads in the sand on and go, la, 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 it's not happening. No, there's so much change going on 
in uh, just a very short space of time. And it's really important, friends, that we learn to think biblically on these matters. It's really important that we learn to, to ask uh, the question, what does God say about these things? That we don't simply conform to the pattern of this world, as we've just read in Romans chapter 12, but that we're transformed by the renewal of our minds. That's how we are transformed, actually, as we uh, have our minds uh, renewed on some things, that we come to see God's Word, and God's Word comes and, and renews our mind on so much stuff, and that's how we are transformed and not conformed to the pattern of this world. And that's what we've been trying to do these last few weeks. We've familiarized ourselves with the stories of the world, which we are hearing every single day, which are essentially people doing what is right in their own eyes. That's essentially the story of the world right now in this kind of individualistic society where the encouragement is, you do you. The encouragement is, don't let anyone else tell you how to live your life. You do you and follow what's in your heart, your desires and your urges, and you will be fulfilled. And we've seen that with this, there's been a wholesale rejection of anything that might be eternal or uh, in some way sacred. And this thinking we've seen and the radical changes that have come about as a result of it haven't come out of nowhere. There's been a whole line of uh, philosophical thinking for centuries now that have led us to the place that we're in. And these things have particularly taken hold in the last 60 or 70 years and have accelerated, particularly in Western culture. Now, one thinker that has perhaps shaped the West more than any other thinker is a guy called Sigmund Freud. Now, those of you doing A-level psychology, you would have come across this guy already. He, in more ways than perhaps any other thinker in the last few centuries, has shaped the way we have come to look at things like human happiness and, and fulfillment in life. And Freud was a convinced atheist, although he saw religion as quite a handy way of keeping a, a culture civilized, as he saw it. But he, was a, he rejected God, he hated Christianity, and his work and his, the legacy of his work has provided the West with a very compelling myth that sex, in terms of desire and fulfillment of desire, are the real key to human existence and to what it means to be human. Okay? So, so the teachings of Freud that we are essentially sexual beings at our core, and the teaching that satisfaction of sexual desires are the key to human fulfillment have radically changed our society. You, if you were an alien, you just dropped out of space and you came and walked around the streets of Britain or America or Australia and Western cultures, you would see that sex is everywhere. Would see as they read the newspapers or scroll Netflix or see our social media that sex is omnipresent and sex is central. Sexual preferences, once considered a private matter, are now matters of public interest, means by which we are recognized by the world around us. It hasn't always been this way. Many identify with their sexual preference. And we need to understand that Freud explicitly argued that genital satisfaction, you didn't think you heard, hear those words today in church, did you? That genital satisfaction is the central point of life. That's what he argued, that's what he said. And that true happiness is found in sexual satisfaction. And this really is the essence of the world in which we find ourselves. You do you, seek satisfaction, and be fulfilled. 
And the evidence, dare I say, if you were an alien dropping in from outer space, walking our streets, is that people aren't fulfilled. That there is actually a lot of searching and a lot of emptiness and many depressed and anxious. It hasn't really turned out to be a very good promise at all. So we've asked, is there a better story? Does God have ideas about the way humans are to flourish? Does sex really lead to fulfillment, we've asked? Can single people really flourish? And what are sex and marriage for, anyway? We've asked that question. What's it all about? And parenting, are children really a blessing from the Lord? Or are they a hindrance to our fulfillment? And what does the Bible say about our identity? What makes a man a man and a woman a woman? All these things you can go and catch up on. If you've not been part of this uh, church and if you've not listened in on this series, you can go and catch up on these things. And so if anything I say today makes you intrigued or even makes you mad, then you need to go and listen to the, to the uh, series in its context and go and hear what we've said on these things. But what we've tried to communicate is that the Bible shows us that God does desire our flourishing, that he does desire actually our pleasure, that the Bible says that in his presence there is fullness of joy in Psalm 16, that at his right hand there are pleasures evermore, that his ways really are life-giving. This is what the Bible points us to, that he's not a killjoy, that he's wise and he knows what is best for us. We've seen that marriage is a gift from God. It's a gift from God for a man and a woman for life. And it's a good thing. We've seen that divorce is not God's way or his heart. That he wants us to fight for our marriages. But that for those who have experienced divorce, there is life on the other side. Because God is faithful. And he's so kind to us. And many of you were so helped as we investigated that together. We've seen that singleness can also be received as a gift from God. It can be a beautiful thing that leads to greater devotion to Jesus and to great fruitfulness for his purposes in the world. We've seen that children are a blessing from the Lord. We're not to discard them as a hindrance to our fulfillment or satisfaction, and we're not to enthrone them and make them the center of our worlds, but we're to lead them with courage and faith and train them and do all we can to lead them to Jesus. And we saw last week that God has made all of us, male or female, and that just because in some cases some don't feel they fit the stereotypes of what men are stereotypically cast as, it doesn't mean that they're not a man. Or likewise, if a woman feels, I don't fit the stereotypes, it doesn't mean they're not a woman. God has made you and given you the body that he's given you. We've seen that the bodies that God has given us are gifts from him. That as Christians, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so it's important what we do with our bodies. It's not that Christianity is just a spiritual deal, but it's something spiritual and physical that we're to receive our bodies as gifts from God and we honor him with our bodies. So, having seen all these things, where do we go from here? Or what would it look like to see that everyone who interacts with Hope Church comes to see and experience the better story. What might that look like? Well, I want to suggest four ways that we might now respond that would lead us as a community to be a, a, a community that really does speak of God's better story. And the first thing I want to say is this. 
Let us not be embarrassed by God's better story. Let us not be embarrassed by this. I sense that this is quite a key one for us. I sense that there would be some here who feel, yeah, I kind of get what the Bible says, but I don't really want to embrace it because it just doesn't seem in keeping with what others are saying around me. It doesn't seem to be in keeping with what the world might be saying, and therefore I'm not really going to embrace it. And listen, we can, we, can, we can shun this and say, well, it's not God's word. We can be a bit embarrassed by it, or we can lean into it. And I really believe God would want us to lean into it as a community that we wouldn't harden our hearts to what he's saying. Because actually, when, when we harden our hearts and we say, well, I don't really like it. It doesn't fit with my view of doing things. We, we, we can sometimes harden our hearts. It doesn't go well for God's people. When you read the Bible, it doesn't go well for God's people when they harden their hearts to God's word and to what he's saying. So let's not be embarrassed by God's story. I want to urge us, friends, to not be embarrassed by it. Because, listen, Christianity is weird. Okay, look to the person next to you and say, Christianity is weird. Christianity is weird. Like, listen, we can't get away from that. We can't get away from the fact that the message of Christianity is a weird one, right? That the Son of God, who has always existed, might enter into human flesh and walk our streets and, and live the perfect life and then suffer and die on a cross in our place that we might know total forgiveness and acceptance and adoption into the family of God. That's a weird message. There's there's no two ways about it. And the Apostle Paul understood this. He writes in 1 Corinthians that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. But to those who do, it's the power of God to salvation. Listen, it's, it's a fool, in, in so many ways, in, and in the, in the sense of how others might see it, it's a, Christianity is a foolish message. It's, it's strange, it's weird. And we can't make it non-weird. And we can't, we can't try and make it acceptable to the world. Now, we don't go out of our way to be intentionally weird, all right? <laughs> and so we, we, we want to not put any stumbling blocks before people other than the cross, which is a massive stumbling block. So we, we have a nice cafe, and we have, you know, nice decor, and we have, uh, I hope, nice, friendly people to welcome us, which we really do. But we, we, we don't try and change the message to try and make it less weird, because it's weird. And so, friends, we, we mustn't kind of be embarrassed and try and make Christianity uh, somehow acceptable, because every time that that's happened in the, in the centuries that have gone by, Christianity has died. That's just what happens. Every time we try and uh, change the message to try and make it acceptable to the culture around us, Christianity dies and the culture remains unchanged. And this has happened whether it be under kind of Roman authoritarian rule many centuries ago or whether it be now in the 21st century with expressive individualism rampant. Listen, we hold up the message of the cross and of life in Jesus and actually of repentance, where we know a change of mind and we have a change of direction. We hold up this message and we don't change it. Otherwise, Christianity dies. Friends, we, we can't get away from the fact that Christianity 
is weird. And Christianity, in a sense, it's not fair. Sometimes we think, well, some of these things that we've been going through in this series, it doesn't seem fair. Christianity's not fair. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through several other options. No, through me. He says, one, one, there's one way. And so it's not, it's not fair. There's only, it's only one way to salvation. It's through trusting in Jesus receiving all that he's done for us. And so, friends, let's not be embarrassed by this. Let's embrace it and lean in. That will be the first thing that I feel just to say to us as we go forward from here. Secondly, in light of what we've been covering, let us flee sexual immorality. These are the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. If you have a Bible, you might like to turn there. You're just in the next book along if you've been in Romans He's serving as an apostle to the church in Corinth, in Greece. He's helped to see that church established. People got saved. They drew together in community. He taught them, trained them, raised up leaders, moved on to the next city. And he's still got a heart and a care for them. And uh, he hears of some weird things going on in the church in Corinth, like some really weird stuff, like bad weird. And uh, he hears that there's a guy sleeping with his stepmother, and there's also some Christians in the church there using prostitutes, which was in the city of Corinth, there was a lot of prostitution. Now, in this situation of a guy sleeping with his stepmother, it would be hard to say in 21st century Britain that that is wrong if both are consensual and both are uh, happy with the, with the setup. It would be hard to say that's wrong in 21st century Britain. Paul's happy to call it out, and he's happy to say the following, because they've been writing to him and saying, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And Paul says in verse 13, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were, brought, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So Paul, speaking into a church that was confused about sexuality, he says, flee sexual immorality. Now, in a sense, all sins are sins. They're all equal in one sense, in that we all need, they all need to be forgiven. But Paul is also showing us here that sexual immorality is in another category of its own as well. Because he says here that actually a person who sins sexually is actually sinning against their own body. And your body, as a Christian, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are not your own. You are bought with a price. So Paul's saying here, flee these things. We are not our own. Salvation is free. 
It's free in that we don't have to work our way to it, but we, it was paid for at a great cost to Jesus. Jesus on the cross won for us salvation. And so we received it as a gift paid for in full by Jesus. And now, friends, in view of his mercy, that's, we come back to Romans 12 again, where Paul says, in, the view, in view of God's mercy to us, we now offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. We, we say, in view of what you've done, I'm all yours. All of this, every member of my body is yours. It belongs to you. That's our spiritual act of worship. Okay, so we love to praise God with song here. That is worship, absolutely. But also, and import, very importantly so, we say, this is all yours, Lord. And I want to honor you with it. So we acknowledge him as Lord, and we, we know that when we do that, there will be some cost to following him and belonging to him. Jesus said, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That means saying no to some things, things that we really, really want. Take up their cross and follow me. For every Christian here, there will be a denial of self. And in an age of expressive individualism, that is radical. And we will be those that speak of a better story when we deny ourselves. Because we're being told, don't ever deny yourself. Don't ever say no to what your really, heart really wants. And denying ourselves may mean a loss of reputation for some. Family may dump you. I know that to be the case with some people in the church here, where you've come from a culture where it's either illegal to be Christian or it's very frowned upon, and family have left you and abandoned you because of your faith in Jesus. You've taken up your cross to follow him. For some, it may be that you're just denied a promotion at work, or maybe even denied a job because people understand you're a Christian and they don't like that. We will all make sacrifices in some way to follow Jesus, denying ourselves, denying some of our desires for popularity or riches to put him first. And the Bible's teaching on sex and marriage will be costly for everyone here. Okay, so listen in. The Bible's teaching on sex and marriage will be costly for everyone here because as I said, the Bible teaches that sex is for marriage and that marriage is for a man and a woman for life. Then it means that those who are single here who want to go God's way, won't have sex. That's costly in some ways. It's costly in a sex-mad world where every day, and I mean it every day, unless you go and hide in a cupboard in your house, you are confronted with the fruit of Freud's teaching that to be having sex is to be fulfilled. Every day you're confronted with that, unless you go and hide under your, your bed and have your hands over your ears. Don't do that. And it's costly to those who are married because contrary to what some may believe or contrary to what we might see on the TV screens, sex doesn't happen all the time. And there's periods of pregnancy or illness or busyness and old, older age. That, that means sex doesn't necessarily flow all of the time. And faithfulness for 50, 60 years is costly. 
it's costly. And for those who experience same-sex attraction, there's a cost in a world that says, embrace what you feel inside. Last week, we heard a fantastic message about manhood and womanhood from Andrew Bunt. And Andrew shared that he himself experiences same-sex attraction. That means he finds himself, for one reason or another, attracted to men. And he is convinced that the better story given to us in the Bible is good news for everyone. And as a result of this, he's not pursuing romantic or sexual relationships with men. And he's committed to singleness, unless, of course, God changes his desires. That's costly, but it's also glorious. And we're going to watch a little snippet of his story now that I think we'll find very powerful. So we can run the video. That would be great. Lots of people really worry for me when they hear my story. They assume that my story, my situation is going to mean I'm on my own, I'm lonely, I'm going to have a kind of sad existence. And that's been a question I've had to ask and kind of wrestle with as well. But actually my experience and the teaching of the Bible has shown me I can experience love, I can experience family, even without having a boyfriend or a husband and a family of my own. Actually, I get to experience genuine love, to uh, feel love and to express love and to experience and receive love in intimate friendships, which the Bible says should be a normal part of Christian life. And in many ways, I get to experience more of family life or have a broader experience of family than many of my married friends are. The, The key issue is about love, not about sex. Actually, I, like all of us, have a legitimate need to love and to be loved, and God knows that, and God provides the context for that. But that doesn't mean I need to have sex. doesn't mean I need to be in a romantic relationship or get married. And actually, all the while I thought it was all about those things, it was like a dead end I could never get through. Realising, no, it's about love, not about sex, suddenly opened up the way, this is doable, this can be a good way of living life, because God gives me the friendships and the church family to experience love. And Jesus gives me a solid, stable identity. And I know that no matter what happens, he always loves me. I've been adopted as a son of God. I'm loved. I'm delighted over. God even sings songs over me. And that gives me such security from which to seek to love him and to follow him. Powerful, right? Andrew, through his life, showing the world a better story. That there's something better than sex. Something that actually does fulfill. Knowing God deeply knowing God personally. And God has given him what he needs. He needs family. We all need family. God said over Adam when he created him, it's not good for man to be alone. So for each one of us, we need to be in deep friendship. We need to be in deep connection with others. And God has given these to Andrew. We see a little bit of the principle of Mark chapter 10 on display here. I love these verses. Mark chapter 10, verse 29, where Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This principle here of as we put Jesus and his kingdom first, that is to say, Jesus, you're king of my life. What you say goes. I want to live life with you as the king. As we put him first, he will give us everything else we need. And Andrew is a living testimony to that. As Sarah and I spent time with him recently, we see that he's a living testimony. God has given me all I need. 
He's given me good friendships. He's given me deep fam- a sense of family that I really do need. I don't need to have sex to be fulfilled. I found something in God that is so, so wonderful. So friends, let us flee sexual immorality in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And let's trust that he will give us all we need. Because actually, ultimately, un- underneath kind of disobedience is, is mistrust, isn't it? When we don't obey God, we don't trust that he's going to give us what we need. Just trust that he will do that. And I want to lean in on something that Andrew said at the end of his video for my third point, which is this. Rejoice in a solid identity. That's what Andrew touched upon last week, isn't it? And he touched upon it there in his video as well. Rejoice in a solid identity. We as Christians get to rejoice in an identity that isn't based on something that changes. That isn't based on something that kind of ebbs and flows. When someone becomes a Christian, that is when by faith a person trusts that Jesus died and rose for their sake and declare him to be Lord of their life, they are immediately adopted into the family of God. They become a son or a daughter of God. And we heard these verses. I, was, I love the fact that Len brought these verses at the beginning. He didn't know that I was going to bring this verse in my message. In John chapter 1, we see in verses 10 to 11, these glorious truths. Jesus is talking about here, he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So they receive him, believe in him, and become children of God. And that's the story of many people here, trusting in him. There's no kind of probation period I've got to kind of work six months just to make sure God's really sure he's happy with what he's done here and taken on here. No, it's an instant identity that we are given as sons and daughters of God. The, the, the good news of the gospel doesn't finish at the cross and forgiveness. The pinnacle is adoption. The pinnacle is that we get brought into the family of God and that we are so loved and that is at the core of who we are. So Christians here more than anything else that is true about you, the truest thing about you is that you're loved by God and that he, you are his son or his daughter. And that's so more important and core to your identity than anything else, than where you come from, who your family are, what your, the color of your skin is, what your uh, relationship status might be. The most important thing about who you are is that you're a son or a daughter of God. That's the thing that's going to last forever, okay? That's the thing that's going to go on and on. It doesn't change with how you feel. It doesn't change with your circumstances. The deepest and truest thing about you is that you are a child of God. This is solid and it's unchanging. God loves you. He sings songs over you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? No, God sings fatherly songs over us. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. God the Father loves you even as he loves Jesus, his son. Can you imagine how much honor Jesus deserves? for all of his life of obedience to his father, never once slipping up, tempted in every way just as we are, never getting it wrong. All that honor is pinned to your chest in Christ. You are loved like Jesus the Son is loved. This is good news. It never changes, friends. It never ebbs and flows. 
This is solid. It's, un, it's unchanging. It's secure. It's a solid identity to build your life upon and to live out your life with. The ultimate validator is God. It's not you. It's not others. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. And Tim Keller, great author, says this, the only eyes in the universe whose opinion counts sees you in Christ and sees you therefore as more precious than all the jewels in all the earth. <laughs> it's good, isn't it, hey? This is true of you if you know Jesus. And this is so contrasting to an identity that is based on what we feel or based on having others make us feel good about ourselves. And there'll be many here for whom you're longing for someone to affirm you. This is what drives many to think, I need, I need to have a girlfriend or boyfriend. I need to have someone who's texting me at the end of the day to affirm me and who I am and tell me I'm wonderful. If we identify primarily with our, our relationship status or our orientational desires, these things change because sexual desires change. Sexual capacity changes. Relationships come to an end. There's different seasons of life. For some of you here, you once had loads of sexual thoughts, and now you don't really. Praise God that true fulfillment and solid identity don't come from these things, from achievement sexually. Christians get to rejoice in a solid identity that doesn't need the validation of others. We've been adopted. This is the pinnacle of the gospel. An insecure identity is one that needs constant validation from other humans. And anyone who doesn't affirm that identity is seen as a threat somehow. And if you're in that place, it indicates that your identity is not as a child of God. This solid and secure identity. We have a right that is given to us that's better than any other right that we can know in this world. We get the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Finally, let's go forward in confidence and with compassion. We go out with confidence, friends, on the back of this series because we genuinely believe we have that which the world is searching for. We've got good news in a world that has totally lost its way. People looking in all the wrong places for satisfaction. A writer, Bruce Marshall, once said, the man who rings the bell at the brothel unconsciously does so seeking God. I'll say that one more time. The man who rings the bell at the brothel unconsciously does so seeking God. He's trying to explain here that the fundamental orientation of the human heart is to seek God and the peace and joy and meaning and truth that only he can bring. The God-shaped hole that we all know before we know him we kind of look for it in other places. But really what we're looking for is God. And Augustine, great theologian from centuries and centuries ago, he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Do we see restlessness all around us? Is that what we're seeing in our nation, in our friendships? Right around the world, are we seeing a restlessness? are chasing after things that we think will satisfy, but don't. Are we seeing that? Friends, we have the answer. 
We can point people to they can know Jesus. They can know forgiveness. They can know a cleansing. And in those verses just before we read in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, don't be deceived. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, do you know what he says then? He says, such were some of you. And such were many of us. He said, but you are washed. You are cleansed. Jesus saved you. So friends, we, we, we go forward with confidence because we genuinely believe we have what the world is searching for. But we go with compassion because we know that such were some of us. Gro- groping around trying to find something that would satisfy us. Trying to find some things that would fulfill. Really, really fulfill us. And then someone took the courage to say, do you know Jesus? It might have been a parent, might have been a youth leader, might have been just someone who stopped you in the street. I know that's the case with some people here. And someone said, you need to know Jesus. You need to know him. And we, friends, we're not, we're not about kind of behavior change here in so much that we want people to know Jesus. And then, in time, people will come to know what a guy called Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. This kind of new affection that we have. Wow, Jesus is amazing. He's incredible. I want to know him and love him more. And I let go of other things. That old hymn that says... You know, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look, look at his wonderful face and the things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's the Christian life. Amen. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus and other things start to go. We lay, we lay down some other things. So friends, we're not out there. We're not here to change people's behavior. We, we want to appeal to people be reconciled to God. Know him. Everything else will come. We're not here. Listen, it can be sometimes kind of a masochistic kind of pleasure to lament what has happened to our country. We can kind of get fixated. Oh, it wasn't like it was in the 50s in this golden era that never existed. It's not like it was, and you can kind of kind of get like stuck in this. It's okay to lament. Lament is a good thing. Get before God and lament. Don't get stuck there. Prayerfully go forward with confidence. Because we have what people are searching for. We really do. We have something that's better than sex. We have something that's more solid than any identity that we could otherwise base our lives upon. We've got something glorious, friends, to share with the world. So let us go forward with confidence and with compassion. Because we were once those who were sheep without a shepherd. We were once those who had no idea where to turn. And so we say, like Paul, who are we to judge those outside of the church? That's what he says. In that same passage we've just read, he's appealing to the Corinthian church to not associate with the sexually immoral. Okay? Shock horror. But what he then says is this. I'm not meaning those outside the church. Because if we don't associate with those who are sexually immoral, we'd have to go out of the world. We couldn't even live here. He's saying those in the church, you have to lovingly challenge. And if they don't listen, don't associate with them. He's saying those, who are we to judge those outside of the church? The heart is, they don't know Jesus. 
We're not going to judge people. We're not going to look upon people with disdain. We need to appeal to them, be reconciled to God. So, where do we go from here? We go forward with confidence and compassion. Because we are simply those that have been wowed by Jesus. We're simply those that have come to see him enthroned. We're simply those that have come to acknowledge him as our king. And we've known his cleansing. Listen, this is, you might be here today thinking, I could never become a Christian because I have messed up so much. Welcome to the club. Really, we want you to be welcome to the club. We really do. And there's a moment here where you can respond to this king who came down low. He came to the broken. He came to those who were searching in all the wrong places. He came to those and he laid his life down. Firstly, in service of others, to those who were on the margins, to those that the world had kicked to the sides. He laid down his life in service of others and then he laid down his life on the cross, which the Bible says was because we needed to have an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. We each deserve death and separation from God for eternity. But Jesus came to take that upon himself at the cross that we could know forgiveness. And so you think, I've messed up so much, I can never know this forgiveness. The guy who wrote these verses had Christians murdered before he came to know Jesus. He had Christians murdered, thrown in prison. He did all he could to destroy Christianity. The grace of God is amazing. You can know it today. You can know it today. I wonder if we might stand where we are. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to respond in song. So the worship team could be come and be ready. Just lead us how you, if there's a song that you feel will be helpful for us. I want to pray for us as we, as we go forward from here. Let's, uh, if you feel comfortable to do this, let's just lift our hands before God. Just say we're just a posture of surrender. Father God, we thank you that such were some of us. And in fact, really, Lord, when we think about it, such were all of us. Lord, who fail in so many ways, and yet you came and you brought about forgiveness for us. You came and you cleansed us. And you brought us into your family, Lord. <laughs> and we want to say thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you. It's totally undeserved, Lord. And yet you've lavished it upon us in great ways. And Lord, as your people, in view of your mercy, we just want to say, Lord, have everything. Lord, Lord we want to be transformed again and again, more and more by the renewal of our minds. We want our bodies to be, we place ourselves upon the altar again. 
and say everything we have, Lord, we want it to be for you in response to what you've done. Lord God, we, we, we want to be those that are not ashamed of the gospel. We want to be those that are not embarrassed by your ways. We want to be those that lean into what you say, that we see you as the source of wisdom and of life. We want to herald to this town and to this area and Lord, even to the nations, we pray, we want to herald. There is a way to know God. There is a way to know total life in all its fullness through Jesus Christ, the King. We want to herald you, Lord Jesus. And we want to proclaim you as King with our lives, Lord, through costly denying of ourselves, through costly sacrifice, through things that sometimes aren't easy in the moment, but are always glorious. Lord, we trust that you are going to give back to us in this life and in the life to come. So as, as your sons and daughters, even as disciples of you, Lord Jesus, we say, it's not about us, it's all about you. It's not about my wants or desires, it's all about you. Just with our, with our eyes closed, I think there's a, a moment for some to repent and say, I've thought some wrong things. And I'm just going to turn, I'm just going to take a moment to say, Lord, I, I, I turn away from that. I reject that notion and I accept the truth. There's just a moment now, maybe even in some of the things I've said, there's a moment now. God just receives you, not with a folded arms. Oh, it's about time you came back. No, he receives you, embraces you, lavishes upon you his love. We can joyfully repent and turn away from some wrong thinking now. Thank you, Lord. Just again, with everyone's eyes still closed, if there's a, I think there's a moment here for some to give their life to Jesus, to say, I'm in on this. I want to know Jesus, him as my Lord, my Savior. I want to give him my sin, exchange and receive his forgiveness and the adoption into the family of God. So that's you right now with everyone's eyes closed, my eyes are open. Just wave your hand at me nice and high. Just say, I want in. Wonderful. There may be some others. Yeah. Wonderful. Praise God. Welcome to the family. <laughs> Even as we sing this song, just give him your life. Just say, I'm yours, Lord. I belong to you. I receive your forgiveness. If that's you raising your hands at me, do that as we sing. Tell someone. Tell someone who you've come with. Tell me. I'd love to hear it. Tell someone from the welcome team. We'd love to help you in a next step, getting baptized, declaring before others, I belong to Jesus now. My old life is gone. Let's sing now as we respond to God together.